Jesus said in uh, John 14, he said, I am the way, the what? The truth and the life. We're about to enter uh, dangerous territory, folks. We're going to be radicals this morning because I want to talk about truth. And uh, this is how is truth uh, reacted to in the world today? Not very good. Truth today is relative. Truth is whatever you want it to be. Truth is whatever the world says it is. Truth is your circumstances. Truth is how you feel. Truth is what you want. Truth is what your neighbor says. Truth is what you heard on the latest television program. How much of that is truth? Zero. There is a source of truth, folks, and we're going to talk about this today. The question for you is, is this absolute truth for you? So we're going to talk about, I call it truth and consequences, not truth or consequences. Fact is, is when we live in truth, we have a choice. We can live according to truth. And when we do, there's some pretty positive consequences. I'm going to share them with you today. And they're not my words. Uh, they simply were going to come from the Word of God. So as we do that, I'm going into the source of truth. And I'm going to expect that who is speaking today is, by definition, he is the way, the truth, and the life. So we're going to talk about this today. Now, the reason this is dangerous territory, George Orwell said a quote. He said, during times of universal deceit, sound like that might be today? During times of universal deceit, telling the truth becomes a revolutionary act. In fact, um, if you listen to the media, truth has become the new hate speech, has it not? If you live in truth, you must therefore hate anything that is untrue. And so therefore you will be called haters. But we have a choice. There's a couple things God uh, never does. It's absolute. First off, he doesn't override our free will to choose, which really sucks, by the way. Um, so he doesn't override my free will to choose. The second thing he will do is he will never compromise truth to attract us to him. And that's sad. Because the churches today, what do they want to do? Many churches, and I'm not saying all churches, no. so please hear the churches are not bad. But too often I am hearing that the truth becomes modified, parts of it omitted, or watered down so that we can attract more people to the church. And you remember I spoke about this before. One of the things about Jesus, whenever he spoke, people left. He wasn't trying to gather more people to hear a watered down message. When Jesus spoke, people left or tried to kill him or both. So therefore, when we speak truth, we are radicals, we're revolutionaries, and it is called the hate speech. And my intent is not hate, folks, because what is behind the truth, Jesus also says he is love. He's not just loving, he is love. He's not just truthful, he is truth. And we learned this for this weekend, he's not simply forgiving, he is by his nature forgiveness. Praise God for that, because without that we're doomed. So we're going to talk about uh, truth and consequences. And uh, Jesus has a lot to say about truth. If you think of it, he said, um, first off, you will know the truth, and the truth will do what? Set you free. Set, set you free from what? Untruth, which is anything this world typically has to offer. He also says, besides I am the way, the truth, and the eye, he says, and in fact, to help you with this, um, I'm going to send you a holy counselor, myself. I'm going to send you myself, essentially my spirit, who will guide us into all what? All truth. The key is, is do I want to submit and abide and live in him to learn truth? Or do I want to live according to the world? And he loves me so much, he won't override my right and my free will to choose. And he says, go ahead, son, 
How's it working? So we're going to talk about truth, and this can be sometimes called the hate speech. Now, I'm not going to go into weird stuff here. It's simply a choice that we're going to have in front of us, and I'm only going to use a part of Scripture. And in fact, I like this. I want to show you these images, just the first one. My dad sent me this. I thought this was really, really cool. I'm sorry I'm sniffling. I'm still wrapped up from the worship, you know. Just confessing there. I'm not, I don't have a cold. I was just overcome with emotion. Um, this was a really cool sculpture he sent me. And when you look at it, this picture, I thought, well, somebody paid somebody to do that? I'm thinking, I could probably do that. That's called a mistake, right? I, could, I think I could build that. I'm a good enough welder. I could probably make something like that, right? Until you step back and you realize what the artist is trying to do. So if you step back again, one more step, what you find is that there are 50 of these columns. Now, what they represent is each of the years of Nelson Mandela's life when he was either arrested in prison or what have you. He was in prison pretty continuous for 27 years. But for 50 years of his life, he went through constant arrest, incarceration, and so on. And so the artist is trying to show us something here. So if you step back really far back, you start to see an image. Can you see that image? Isn't that kind of cool? But if you stand exactly where those two people are right now, if you stood on that spot, you would see kind of a picture of Nelson Mandela. And I'm thinking, who can do this? <laughs> I mean, I don't have an artistic... I look at this and thinking, how does somebody do this? And I wanted to use, show this to you because the Word of God is kind of some, similar to this. See, when we get up close and I read a particular passage of Scripture, I can look at it and I can look through it and I say, wow, that is really cool. I can read it and I can say, this is really neat. This is cool stuff. And it's, and it's really powerful. Or, even worse, I can look at it and say, I don't like that, so therefore the rest of the book must be bad. Right? So uh, I can look at it and say, huh, by itself it doesn't look like it. But as I step back, then I start to see there seems to be a pattern here. And as I get more into the Scripture and start to look at it all, there is a beautiful picture of basically this, truth. And we get to see this image of truth. So I just thought that was a great illustration of that. So I wanted to share that with you, especially since my dad sent it to me and I thought it was really cool. And at first I looked at it and thought, how do people do this? But then I recognized, uh-huh, when my dad sent that to me, it's kind of how we should be looking at the Word of God. We can't just look at a piece. Uh, we need to step back and look at it all in its entirety. So we're going to talk about truth today. So the first thing I want to do is, a first part of truth, I'm going to show you four points of truth. And the first one is we're going to go, and if you've got your Bibles with you, open up to 2 Corinthians 5, and I'm going to have to put on my glasses, and I realize that'll reflect light, and it's because the light in here isn't all that good. It's not my eyes. Okay, 2 Corinthians 5, and uh, I want us to take a look at the first uh, five verses. They'll actually be on, uh, on, your, on your screen here too, but this is truth. Our future, for those of us who are believers, is assured, and here's what it says. Now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed. Now, he's talking about this body. He's talking about our body, right? If this earthly tent is we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. While we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened. Are we not? Are we not? Because we don't wish to be unclothed, but, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. And now, here's the cool. It is God who made us for this very purpose. And he's given us the Spirit as a deposit, as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. The question for you is, do you own that truth? 
Because if you do, it starts to change a whole lot of things. Because then the next thing we're going to find out is that in these verses in, in uh, 2 Corinthians 5, there's also an assured, what? Purpose. So let's take a look at verse 9 and 10. We look at verse 9 and 10. He said, so therefore, if I accept this first truth, I have a purpose. And here it is. So we make it our goal to please him. You mean he has a plan for me? Yeah. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. So whether I'm here in this earthly tent or I'm going to please him, right? Um, he says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due to him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Now think of the things that are implied in that truth right there, folks. Um, I decide whether or not, because he's not going to override my free will to choose. I can decide to live a life before I try to please him. And he promises me in his word that his way is best and none better. Do I believe him? So if I live according to the way he asked me to live, and it's not rules, folks. It's because he died to give us life and to give it to us, what? Abundantly. That's John 10.10. 10. Uh, he said, I come to give them life and to give it to them abundantly. So he said, um, we want to make it our goal to please him. So, so because uh, we will each appear before the judgment seat of Christ, at that point, we're not going to be condemned because we're believers, right? We're going to go and he's going to say, uh, you were a good and faithful servant. And so therefore, I have implies to me here some different levels of, of reward, but even the low ones, I'm in heaven. So I'll take even that one, right? So he's going to, he's, we're going to be judged for that. So we actually have a goal. We have a purpose. And that is to simply please him. And how do we please him? Live the way he asks us to live. Trusting that his way is better when we do that. And what I am learning, despite the fact I'm still a fairly relatively, from God's perspective, certainly, I'm still a new believer. And he's got exactly one rest of my lifetime to teach me more. But I am learning as I'm trying to live according to what he is saying. Life is better than I could have ever imagined it to be. Not my circumstances, folks. Life is better than I ever imagined it to be. You can talk to me more about that later if you want, for those of you that don't know me. So he gives us this assured, uh, absolute assured future. He gives us an absolutely assured purpose, therefore. The next thing he gives us is an assured perspective. So once I own these first two truths... Now what I do is I go to verses uh, 16 and 17. He says, got to get better light. So from now on, here's my different perspective. We regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we might have once regarded Christ that way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. So here again, it's a question for, for us. If I'm living in those first two truths, and he allows me to not, if I wish. Do I look at who, from not, not from a worldly point of view? Everyone. So let's just unpack that just a little bit. So if I look at a fellow believer, first off, that's a pretty easy one. This person's going to go with me into eternity. So those of, you, those of you who already, I know, have accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. You don't know, just know he's the Son of God. You've accepted him as your Lord and Savior. Um, I'm going to know you forever. And you're going to know me forever. And we're going to be recognizable to each other. I don't quite get all that yet, but we will be. So therefore, I'm to look at you not as temporary. Uh, God ordained our meeting, and we're going to know each other forever. I should look at you now differently. Because he tells me to. He tells me to do that. Second thing is, how about people um, who have not yet made that decision? And if you're in the sound of my voice and you are that person, I would love to talk with you. I'm not going to try to convince you. I just want to take you in and you decide, is, this, is there truth in here? 
That's all. I'm not going to try to argue because nobody gets argued into heaven, right? Um, but if now let's take a look at a non-believer. I want to look at them not from a worldly point of view, but from an eternal point of view. One is, the Bible tells me that all of us will live for eternity. Ooh. We will either live with God going into eternity or apart from Him. And the Bible calls that hell. Now, that's not a nice message, but it's truth. It's truth. So therefore, if I look at a non-believer that God puts in my life, and I look at them from an eternal point of view, what should be the condition of my heart? Lord, if there's an opportunity for my life to be a witness to them so we can have a conversation, because um, that's what you want, then I want to do that. I'm not going to look at you as temporary and that you're going to die at some age. I'm going to look at you as uh, eternal. And I want you with me, quite frankly. I want buddies. Which brings up kind of the other point that's implied in here, too. Take a little detour here. This is a truth that you're going to have to kind of think about a little bit. Where is Jesus right now? He is seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. And what does that mean when you say somebody's seated? They've rested. They're done. In the Old Testament, the high priest never got to rest. They didn't, they kept, because they had to keep coming back. Jesus, when he died on the cross, he's resurrected, he's still, and he's sitting at the right hand of the Father. He's done. So what's his job now? You ever think about that? Um, at first, I thought it was just all he wants to do is spend time with his, with his kids. But I'm recognizing as I go into more to the Word, and especially in this passage, he also wants more kids. He wants that all would be saved. And we've got a mission. So I don't look at anyone as an accidental meeting. I don't look at any of you if I've met you by God. And I look at you as going together into eternity. I know where I'm going. And so does that help a little bit? We look at everybody from an eternal perspective. So question for each of us is, is that true for me? Okay, let's look at the other truth. Next truth is, I also have an assured mission. Now, this mission is for the church, universal church. So let's take a look at this. This is pretty cool. Um, verses 18 to 21. I want to make sure I just do the right verses. All of this is from God, who reconciled, now look at the past tense here, done. He reconciled us to himself through Christ. So there's the key as well. And he gave us a ministry of reconciliation. He gave me a ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ not counting men's sins against them. He has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. Isn't that cool that Almighty God would decide to engage little pathetic us in his work? Because he doesn't have to. That's pretty cool. He says, we implore you on Christ's behalf. Here's the message. As an ambassador, here's our message to the rest of the world. Be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be the sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And this was a key truth I had to really grab hold of. When Christ went to the cross, he became all of my sin for me. So that in that exchange, I actually became the righteousness of God. Is that making any sense? It makes no logical sense to me. But he took on all of our sin. Now, here's the part that got me. This is the part I didn't learn until probably recent years. Here's why that was so critical for him to take on 100% of my sin. God cannot be associated with anything other than perfect holiness. 
He can't be. So therefore, how could he possibly send his Holy Spirit inside of something as pathetic as me? The only way he can do it is if he first makes me perfect and perfectly holy. I don't feel that way, but that's the eyes he sees me through. Does that make sense? It's the only way he can exist in us. So therefore, stop looking at yourself from from not only just a, a, a temporary point of view, but from a defeated point of view. That's not how he sees us. He says, as far as the east is from the west, I have separated your sins from you. That's hard for us to grasp because it's not logical. How do I get something like that for free, right? It's just not logical. So, but that's a truth that I had to learn to own. And I had to decide, do I own that truth? Are we kind of good so far? These are just foundational truths. So therefore, now, so that picture, by the way, is we've crossed over. Okay, so we've crossed over. When I accept that truth, I have crossed the chasm. I've crossed over into life. When I own those truths, there are some pretty positive consequences. And I'm going to go to, uh, what I want to do is go to Ephesians 4. Let's take a look at Ephesians 4, if you go forward a little bit. Not Colossians, Bob, Bob, Ephesians. Okay, and I'll probably read some of this in different translations, because quite frank, frankly, I like some of them better. First one, uh, in Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. Well, will you get there? Here we are. He said, it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Now, this is sometimes called, how many job descriptions do you see there? See, a lot of people call this the five-fold ministry of the church. I think they missed the biggest one. There's six. Look at what's in here. God gave some. Therefore, here's now, here's my role. He's given some. Some of us are apostles. Some are prophets. Some are evangelists. Some are pastors. Some are teachers to prepare God's people for works of service. You see in the six? Now, every single one of us, when we accept this truth, we have at least one of those six roles. Because the Word tells me. You're starting to see a question probably come out of this. You're probably sitting there thinking, so what's my role? And am I doing it? Right? So there's a role here that's very specific. Okay, when I also accept the fact that I've got a role now, I also, my choice, I decide to take responsibility for that, cho- for that role. Let's take a look at what it is. Here's the purpose. Why? 13. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and we all become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So who's included in this? All of us. So should any of us in here be exempt from that? No. So we're actually called by God to bring ourselves to maturity and to stay together in community to do that. But I don't have to. It's a choice. He won't override my free will to do this. Okay. And then finally, that choice has a result. When I take that role and that responsibility, there's a result here. Here it is, 14 to 16. Therefore, we'll no longer be infants, right? Um, Tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching. That ever happened to anybody, right? And by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the what? The truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head that is Christ. And from him, the whole body, us, 
joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each person does their part. There's the result. So what we call this at Willowbend Church, we call this living scent. This is wrapped up in the very vision of our church. If you hit that uh, next slide, you'll see this come up. We call this living scent. We said God has created this and this church to serve people. This is the acronym here. To serve people. To engage with people. And to nurture relationships. Trusting in God for all of this. But first, we simply have to reside in and abide in truth. So is it truth for you? So I guess I've got uh, three questions. I need to wrap up with three questions. Uh, this helps our life groups because Dave has asked us to talk about application of our messages in life groups. The first one is, which of those four truths, if any, do you struggle with? Which of those four truths, if any, do you struggle with? The second question that comes logically for me is this. So, if I'm living in those truths, what's my role? What is my role? And then finally, if that's my role, have I taken responsibility for it? To give results for the kingdom. Not for us, but to glorify God so that we can all go to maturity so that he can be praised. Um, folks, I just took a couple, few verses of scripture which is absolute truth and just simply shared them with us. And um, the choice is ours. So um, as you're just thinking, sitting there, and as we go to prayer, I want you to just think, is this truth, truth for you? Because we have a choice. And he, I'm going to say it again. He will never override my free will to choose. But he will also never compromise or change truth simply to get me to feel better about it. That's hate speech, folks. That's hate speech. That's how the world sees it. So we have the choice in front of us, which will you choose? Let's pray.